0: Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Property. I'm Peter Switzer. This goes out on Thursday nights on our YouTube channel. Just go to Switzer Financial Group. You can also pick it up on our website as well. Now, on tonight's show, we have Chief Economist of AMP Capital, Shane Oliver, and he tests out the doomsday merchants' belief that house prices aren't actually rising and will ultimately crash. Then Nuclear Wealth's Damian Claassen, explains why home prices will eventually give in to gravity and he evaluates of how, maybe how far they will actually fall and that, I think that's a very important point. And then Suburbanite's founder Anna Porter looks at the reasons why some property investors go after commercial properties rather than residentials. So let's go to Shane Oliver from a Capital to see why he thinks property prices are on the rise. Well, we're catching up with Shane Oliver to talk to him about what he's seeing in the property sector. There's a lot of people up there believing that uh, this short-term recovery in house prices won't last. Those people still probably believe house prices could fall by 40%. Let's just see where Shane, uh, what Shane is seeing in his very reliable economic crystal ball. How are you, mate? I'm good, Peter. Great, Great to, to be here. Yeah, same, good to you and Great to see you as well. Now, we Usually we don't talk about property, but yeah. property is still a big issue for lots of people, and mm. a lot of people are pondering this uh, rebound. Some people don't even believe the rebound. Is the rebound for, for real?
1: I think it is,
0: and I've got to admit that
1: if you go back a year ago, I was more negative on property than you were, yeah. and it went down for a bit, and then it turned around. Mm. And uh, I think as analysts, uh, we have to admit when we were wrong, uh, Our and, critics never admit when they're I know that, that annoys me a little <laughs> bit, but um, when the facts changed, as they did yeah. around the May election, yes. and at about the same time we had the election on the Saturday. On the Wednesday, I think it was, Philip Lowe was giving a speech where he said, well, you know, next month we're going to consider the case for cutting interest rates, and mm. they did.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I thought they would cut rates last year, but they cut earlier than I thought, and they cut three By times. By the way, you got
0: the rate cut uh, prediction oh, more thanks. right than I did, yeah. I thanks that. Thanks for yeah.
1: that. Yeah. We, we got that bit right. Um, but I had to concede that at that point in time, May, June, that the facts were starting to change. Yeah. And so I, even though I was worried about the property market going down a lot more, that was my forecast. 25, I thought, yeah, didn't you? I 25% yeah. in Melbourne and nationwide, I think it was somewhere between 10 and 15 thereabouts. Yeah. But um, in the end, I got 15 in Sydney and 11 in Melbourne. So yeah. I'd have to consider- Well done you, uh, go. Yeah. <laughs> but if, if I think back to the period, I never thought we were gonna get a, an out and out crash that was gonna crash the economy, no. um, because I, I thought the Australians would still be able to service their mortgages. And by and large, that's what's happened. But of mm-hmm. course, the rebound has caught me by surprise, but to then come out and say, well, it's all imagined, it's all made up by the data providers, I think
0: is just ridiculous. Yeah. Um They're it, the sort of people we used to fail at university. while well, I was teaching when you were a student, but that kind of person ultimately would have got failed at university. Yeah, they,
1: they wouldn't have made it through uni. No. I mean it's just nonsensical to say to people who are out there in Sydney and Melbourne on a Saturday trying to bid at a house that the property market hasn't turned up when they're surrounded by people, other people bidding for the properties <laughs> oh yeah, and the price goes, the house goes for 100, 200, 300 over. Yeah. Um, so if you look at the evidence here, it's panned out the way property recoveries often pan out. Yeah. Yeah, if you buyers start getting in there at the low, low point, auction clearance rates start going up. Auction clearance rate starts going up and then eventually, uh, some more sellers come along and the volumes start to pick up. But it's usually happening with a lag. But that's now starting to happen. You have seen in the latter part of last year, you saw a pick up in volumes. Mm. Sales were starting to follow the price up. And likewise, since the middle of last year, we've seen housing finance commitments. This is commitments by banks to people to borrow for a home yeah. rise about 20%. I think 21% precise mm. number. So yeah. pretty strong turnaround there. Now, that to me, those three things would suggest the property market has turned around. And then when you look at the house price data put together by both Domain and CoreLogic, and don't forget these organisations spend a lot of money collecting this data, if they were making it all up, it's a very expensive operation just to make some data up. So they go out there and collect the data, nothing's foolproof, there's always errors there, um, but it gives you a pretty good guide. And then later on it's backed up by the ABS data which has come out, it's also pointed to a turnaround. So whether you like it or not, Um, the reality is, we have to be objective here, the property market has turned up.
0: Yeah. Uh, I was talking to Bruce Hockman from ABS and he says exactly the same thing. Mm. and i don't think the abs makes it up but they have been accused of that but well, they can some be people. in their cahoots
1: with the property industry as well i mean <laughs> exactly. this, all, this, 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 it's this, this annoys me I, I was reporting this data when it went down and analyzing and what have you and no one said in the property industry oh you're an idiot shane yeah. um but when i reported you know, that
0: we're saying you're lying yeah about, they say oh great you're it's right, going right down, it's you're
1: on. right but now it's going up you're lying now, you know, you're, you're, you're,
0: you're just a property spooker This is crazy okay Let's go to the next step. Okay, let's accept mm. house prices are coming back. We've got the bushfire effect, we've got the coronavirus, and I know you've downgraded your growth for the first quarter of this year. Is yeah, that first quarter? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you think there'll be a rebound in the second half? That's uh, right, I think that?
1: there will be a rebound. Now, now we've got to be um, realistic here when a bushfire comes along when a natural disaster comes along you often get a bit of a hit to the economy we yeah. saw that with cyclone yazy that was the last time this happened in a big way yeah. back in i think march 2011 that's yeah. when the banana crop was wiped out yeah. and a few mines got flooded the economy went backwards yeah. derrimsters came out said so, no this is the recession we're going to have yeah. and of course uh, then you get the rebound in the next quarter and i think we'll probably see that this time around yeah. there is a little bit of uncertainty as to what's happening with coronavirus and you can question the numbers coming out of China, but the evidence would suggest that, fingers crossed anyway, assuming the data is roughly right, that it may be, we've seen the peak in the number of new cases on a daily basis, even though the number of absolute cases is still rising. So that could be a positive sign that sometime in the next few months, the travel bounds might be lifted and China will start to return to normal. So Mm. that would give me a little bit of confidence that we'll We'll see growth return mm. in the subsequent quarters and pick up as we go through the year. A whole bunch of things will help growth in the economy. Mm. Uh, obviously, interest rates are down. A lot of people say, well, that's not going to help anybody. Well, I think the reality is that it has. Otherwise, you wouldn't have seen that pick up in the property market. That's but right. the pick up in the property market will make those who were feeling a bit negative a year ago when prices were coming down, now they might feel a little bit more positive. Mm. And some of those people have been paying down their debt a little bit faster than they otherwise would have, might think at some point through the next six, 12 months, oh, well, maybe I'll spend some extra money. Hmm. So that will help. Time for a holiday in China. Time for a holiday in China or in,
0: <laughs> the Gold Coast, in Eden or wherever it is yeah. uh, to help
1: yeah. the areas affected by bushfires. Yeah. But um, th- Then you've got booming infrastructure spending. Mining investment looks to me like it's bottoming, gradually starting to pick up. We've still got a very low Australian dollar that ultimately will help um our exports Mm. and of course in china they're they're uh, priming their economy to try and offset the coronavirus which means that when the rebound comes it's probably going to be a fairly strong bounce Mm. so all of those things suggest to me that growth will pick up as we go through the year then you have a debate as to whether it's going to be as strong as the reserve bank suggests probably Mm. i think it'll be a little bit weaker um but i but i do think that we're not going Mm. to go plunging into recession i do think growth will pick up
0: May budget and what Josh Frydenberg decides to spend, I guess that's going to be important to your predictions as well?
1: It will. It will have a huge impact. If he announces some decent fiscal stimulus, which I think is what we probably need for Australia at present, Mm. uh, our public finances are in far better shape than most other countries around the world, so we can afford to loosen the purse strings a little bit, with growth being weak as it has been lately. Um, And I would to be honest, I'd prefer that to more interest rate cuts. Mm. Um, so if we get a bit of that in the in the May budget, that will be a good sign, I think, uh, provide a bit of a boost to the economy. Mm. And then of course, if you get some more interest rate cuts from the Reserve Bank, you and I can disagree on that one, but mm. maybe we might get one or two more rate cuts from the RBA, then I think that just adds to confidence that growth will pick okay, up. Okay,
0: let, Let's be fair to doomsday merchants because I am a, an objective commentator. Mm. If we do go into a serious economic um, slowdown, even a recession, would you then expect house prices to resume their fall?
1: Yes. I I think if we go, I mean, the two things that have always worried me, and this is, I guess, where I parted company with the doomsdays, you know, you can sort of, you can recognise that Australian housing is very expensive, that has gone hand in hand with a big rise in debt. Mm -hmm. And then you sort of think to yourself, okay, that's very interesting. and Not so good. It's not ideal for young Australians trying to get into the property market. But what will cause it to crash? Yeah. What will cause it cause a 40% collapse in property prices? And I always struggled to struggle to find the trigger there, mm. unless you get a recession or much higher interest rates.
0: And unemployment going to ten. An unemployment going to ten
1: and then people can't service their loans. Yeah. Or interest rates, mortgage rates going to ten and people can't service their loans. Yeah. But in the absence of those things, it's hard to see that happening. So the answer to the question is yes, if the economy goes in recession, prices will resume their downswing but I just don't see us going to recession.
0: Mm. Um, One area where uh, some Doomsday merchants um, will um, look for the seed that will grow into a house price collapse is is the level of of debt right around the world and the shakiness of financial institutions. A, does it bother you, the shakiness of financial institutions, or do you think that the the Mm. international monitors on big banks and all that sort of stuff is uh, good enough for you to sleep at night?
1: It's good enough for me to sleep at night, that's the, the short answer to this question. Yeah. The monitoring of uh, banks these days is actually a lot tougher than it was back in 2007 prior to the GFC. That's so good, it's, actually, good. That's good to hear. it's actually toughened, yeah. uh, It's point number one. Point number two is that debt relative to people's income has been rising ever since debt was invented. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's not near, the graph always goes up like this. Uh, there's a few wiggles where it goes up and down, but the general trend has been up. Second, uh, thirdly, uh, private debt generally around the world, particularly in advanced countries like the US, Europe and even Australia, hasn't really gone up much as a ratio of incomes since the GFC. Okay. Most of the debt increase has actually been in public debt, which is a different kettle of fish, because if you're a government, you control something. That everyone knows about called a printing press and if you run into trouble servicing your loans then you can print more money a private company can't do that a household can't do that so you've got to allow that that rise in debt to gdp ratios that has occurred post the gfc has been mainly public debt Mm. and uh, right now governments are still having no trouble servicing their debt because interest rates are low Mm. And if they do have any trouble, it's not the same as with a the corporation. They can, unless they're a grease, they can print money to service those
0: loans. Mm. Let's address finally, because I'm trying to get to um, the, the, the number of the argument where people say, oh, something's gonna come back to bite Australia. And that is the level of household debt mm. to GDP, which we were the second highest behind that that, that well-known country, Switzerland. Yeah, funny, yeah. It's funny that no one's actually <laughs> criticised <laughs> me for having a name linked yeah. to the highest mm. uh, uh, personal debt to GDP in the, in the whole world, Switzerland. Mm. Um, why are you relaxed about that? I, I think you, like me, you prefer it to be lower. I, I, I would prefer it to be
1: lower, yeah. but the what? evidence would suggest that Australians are servicing their loans. Mm. You know? I I, I get surprised that people are happy to take on so much debt. Mm. And I thought, how do they they manage it? Mm. But they are. You know, you you have to allow that the level of household debt to income today is, the ratio, is four times greater than it was in, say, 1990. You know, it's pushing 200%. Back in 1990, it was about 50% but the level of interest rates is
0: something right?
1: like one quarter what they were back then yeah. so that that's how it's it's able to perpetuate mm. the other reason it perpetuates people say okay well if i take out this mortgage i know it's a lot of money but you know we haven't had a recession for a long time The jobs market yeah it's a bit soft but i'll probably still get another job so that that's also enabled that to happen mm. and i think a lot of the surveys i see say, oh, 30% of the households are in uh, mortgage stress. I I think they're exaggerating a little bit. I think there's no doubt that there is an issue there. There's a lot of households that do have an issue there. But I've seen lots of episodes out in recent times. You've seen little bits of rises in unemployment. We've seen high underemployment. We've seen the switch from interest only loans Mm. to principal and interest loans. These events have all occurred and yet we haven't seen much of a pick up in non-performing uh, loans. No. I was reading that when we switched from interest only to, non- to principal and interest, we were going to see a huge crash. Right. All these people defaulting on
0: their There's loans. Some, some brilliant people on my TV show on, on the Sky mm. Business Channel, who I won't name, said it was going to be a, the, 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 the makings of a crash.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a bloodbath. What happened? Well, we didn't really see that. No. Um, these people switched to take advantage of the lower rates because many of them were incentivized to yes. do so. and. Yeah, we didn't see a lot of forced selling. Mm. We didn't see a major problem. So I think, yes, it is a worry that we've got all this debt. And I would like to see a period in Australia, like a decade or so, where wages growth was an excess of house price growth. Yeah, yeah. That, I think, would be the best way to fix this affordability issue. And the best way to bring about that would be to have continued strength in the supply of property mm-hmm. in Australia, Okay. i.e. I. where we're matching wow. new entrants to the property market with new homes yeah. that people want to live in, yeah. hopefully some of those homes away from the capital cities to mm-hmm. decentralize a bit. Yeah. Th- that, I think, would be the best outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, I a know very a lot fast
0: of train putting more people in Goulburn. Well, uh, yes, yes.
1: <laughs> Working in Melbourne and
0: getting to Sydney or wherever it is, or Orange or somewhere or other, that that
1: would be the way to go. And that's how America has managed to have affordable housing. Obviously, someone's going to point to San Francisco or parts of LA or parts of uh, New York and say, well, that's not affordable. But if you look beyond that, you've got all these cities with 800,000, 600,000, a million and they make that work because of good infrastructure. Mm. That's what we should be doing in Australia. Mm. Um, thinking we're gonna fix the problem up by crashing the property market is not the solution mm. because people won't have a job if that happens yep. and they won't be able to get into the property market.
0: Okay. So just so people can't call spookers, um one day we, there will be a recession mm. and that will undoubtedly lower house prices. Um, when do you think a recession might come along?
1: Well, that's a good question, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I look back through my records, and I predicted uh, three of the last one recession. <laughs> um, I did have a prediction going into the early nineties recession, yeah. and it didn't happen. Then I thought one would happen at the time, uh, in the um, the p- period around two thousand and seven, two thousand, you know, yeah, the Techn- games, yeah, yeah. after the Olympic games, yeah. and I also uh i thought that negative quarter at the time of the gfc would turn into recession and, and i was too negative yeah. um so don't go saying that you know I've, i economists never forecast recessions yeah. i've been too negative yeah. um if i look back honestly and i think we have to look at these things honestly um so yeah i have no idea when it will come no. uh, but i do know the things to look for you look for excess yeah. and beyond the strength in house prices and the and household debt we don't see a lot of signs of excess. We haven't seen overinvestment in the economy. We haven't seen excessive wages growth. We haven't seen excessive inflation. We haven't seen the Reserve Bank going bonkers and raising interest rates dramatically to slam the brakes on to kill the economy. So and we don't see a massive increase in total debt in Australia. Mm. So the things that would normally look for to say oh yeah there's a lot of excess mm. here we're going to have a recession that they aren't there yeah,
0: now the stock market might be record territory but it's taking us a long time yeah yeah you've yet, got to be yeah. careful
1: of that stat. Yeah. you know yeah. when people say oh it's in record territory it just shows how crazy the market is it's all pumped up by the yeah. central bank and i immediately think to that well yeah we we got to that high back in 2007 and then we spent what all those years up until last yeah. year spinning the wheels yeah 12 years or something spinning yeah. the wheels yeah. and now we've broken it so similar with the us the us got to that high back in 2000 came down Fifty percent went to the high again in 2007, then came down another 50 percent, then finally burst through it in 2013, Hmm. so US share market record highs. But it spent 13 years spinning its wheels, much like our market did. So I'm a a little bit wary of that saying that the share markets at record highs, therefore it must crash. Hmm. That doesn't work that way. You've always got to look at these things and say, I I love this saying, you know, that bull markets, economic expansions, don't die of old age they die of exhaustion mm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's and we're not, we're
0: not really um, in that uh, I call it well, well um, Greenspan called it irrational exuberance when it came into yeah. the stock market but um, we're not in that period of ridiculous expansion
1: no we're not no we're not uh, the Nasdaq I think was trading on a PE mm. of something like a hundred times and a lot of the stocks in Nasdaq didn't even have earnings. Yeah. So now you can sort of look. Okay, well, there's a bit of a parallel there with the fang stocks. Mm. Yeah, Facebook, Amazon. I get confused with the A's. And Netflix is in there somewhere. And Google. Yeah. Things yeah. to. But Alphabet. Any, alphabet. Mm. Apple. Who's G mm. then? But that I should be. Yeah, yeah Google. <laughs> that's Google. That's uh, Google. Anyway, yeah. Uh, uh, Microsoft might be in there as well. Anyway, um, they're expensive, but they're all making. A lot of them are making good profits. Yeah. Um, So it's a very different situation compared to back then. So I could say, yeah, it'd be nice to see a bit of a rotation in the market away from the FANG stocks into the broader market. But I think it's very different to saying this this is like what we had at the tech burn.
0: Okay. As always, I always say this to you, I hope you're right. So do I. Well, sometimes I say, I hope you're wrong. No, 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 that's Roger Montgomery always say, I hope you're wrong. Yeah. Now no, 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 it's Steve I always say, I hope you're wrong. So yeah. I hope you're right. Shane Oliver, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Shane Oliver, Chief Economist at AMP Capital. Well, a story which captured the imagination of uh, many of the people out there. You see property as a doomsday scenario it was written by Damien Classen from Nucleus Wealth. And uh, I wanted to catch up with Damien to, to get the, his, uh, ultimately, his scenario for the future. Damien, thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot, Peter, for having us. Okay, so... Um, In particular, I often get picked up by the doomsday scenario, people out there who think I'm far too positive on property when I'm not, and I just feel as though property goes up in cycles and it goes down, and I think you you captured that. You looked at, basically posed the question, what's going to happen to prices over the next five or ten year uh, period, and when you compare what what prices might do to what happens to income, the, the scenario is not really positive.
2: No, and I think um, I think the the key message I had, I guess in a, in a nutshell, is that a lot of the issues come about from saying if you're going to borrow a lot of money on property, and so um, I looked at sort of three sort of scenarios: one where we're in a, a what I call purgatory, which is basically sitting where we are today, very low growth, interest rates stay low, uh, and just everything sort of not going uh, not going very far. Um, a a boom case and and, and a bust case. And even sitting in purgatory, property itself actually does go up. Um, Not very much, but it goes up a very little bit. The issue is if you've borrowed a lot of money and you've borrowed it at, and even if paying so four, four and a half percent in terms of interest, uh, it actually ends up being a losing situation for for investors, especially when you consider that it's it's sort of a bit of a, I call it a 10% round trip just to get into the property and then back out of the property. So you need to make 10% just to, just to break even on, on your entry and exit costs. And so that's where I'm coming from is not, not so much a, a, I guess there is a bear case in, in certainly there and, and the downside's quite pronounced. But I guess where I'm coming to from, the, from this article is even if you start painting some quite positive pictures uh, on the upside, you end up with interest rates rising and that sort of capping in property prices.
0: Mm. Are you doing it from the point of view of, someone who's trying to build his or her wealth either from investing in property or investing in stocks or other assets or are you trying to put together that group of people as well as someone who might be buying a home and the the deal for that sort of person often isn't really a capital gain one it's first and foremost where i want to live and I really hope I get capital gain along the way. And maybe if I don't get in five or 10 years' time, I might get in 20 or 30 when I decide to retire. So how have you accommodated all those multiple types of people? Yeah, sure. And so what I've tried to do, we've created the calculator that sort of
2: tries to, to do some property forecasting first and then divert you away to say, okay, are you looking at a rent versus buy situation or are you looking at a, an investment versus, say, a shares? because you're right and, and there's all there's so many um, so many other factors when it comes into um, to buying a property to, to live in for yourself you know and I often say you know I'm, I'm very much um, in, in terms of splitting into, into saying there should be you should look very differently as an investor to a to a homeowner yeah. and and there might be cases where you're saying you know it's even losing a little bit of money on on a property might be much cheaper than getting a divorce so you know there's there's those cases <laughs> where you know lifestyle is important and, and, and that's part of what I was trying to do is, like, I started this from saying, um, I actually had somebody come to me, um, you know, a friend of mine saying, look, they're looking at buying and they wanted to look at renting versus buying. And, and they looked at some online calculators and they were telling them to buy. And I sort of thought that sounds funny because they're looking at inner city Melbourne and, and they were renting for about $800 a week. And the property prices are somewhere between $1.6 and $2 million in that area. And I thought, that, that sounds strange, it would tell you to buy. And so so I took the calculator and then I said, okay, well, what happens if he wasn't paying $800 a week? What happens if he's paying $400 a week? And the property calculator said buy. And I thought, that sounds a bit weird. What happens if he's paying a dollar a week? And the property calculator said he should be buying. <laughs> and the reason why is because a lot of these calculators have basically built into it. Property prices are gonna go up by 7 to 10% per annum. And so if you're gonna buy a $1.6 million property, you're making 160 grand a year, regardless, and so you know, and so it doesn't matter about the cost. Whereas, um, and so that was where I started by saying, well, what are the limits on property? And I do think there's um, the two main limits people should be uh, worried about. Is, is one is the the relative cost of mortgages to rent, and this is probably my key one um, because what I'm saying for that is that if it's going to cost somebody twice as much to have a mortgage as what it is to rent and the stats sort of show this in Sydney and Melbourne in particular uh, over time is that once it reaches that level, people stop buying and they start, they start coming down to rent or, or you see interest rates cut. And that's usually the way we've got out of that over the last few years is it reaches those peak levels and then interest rates get cut. And so the cost of your mortgage to rent um, comes down. Yeah. So, so then you get to the stage of saying, are we out of interest rate cuts? Or we've got another 75 basis points to go. And so here, yeah. sorry, good
0: question. No, no. So, so in a sense, as I listen to you and I think about, you know, you're talking about your friend in Port Melbourne, and I think of places like Paddington and Sydney. Uh, they, they, in a sense, they become like big blue chip stocks that don't really have massive capital gain. They, over time, they'll have increasingly slower and slower capital gain, and they could become a reasonable uh, dividend play or rent play in terms of dollars, but not in terms of percentage yields.
2: Yeah. So, okay. So, so I guess there's unpacking a few different things there. One is, if you're looking at it as, um, should I be renting or should I be buying in a similar house? There's obviously lots of issues behind that. But if you can rent for half the price as what, um, as yeah. what it's going to cost you to have a mortgage, you need to question about, you know, should I be doing that? And 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 where's the limit? So is it if the if the limit isn't two times, is it three times or four times or five times? Um and, and so I guess I'm I'm positing there there is a limit, and it seems as if in Sydney and Melbourne that sort of double double the cost seems to be about that limit. Mm. And given we don't have rate right any more rate cuts or sort of sorry, not anymore, we've got sort of two or maybe three rate cuts left, there's very little um that, that mortgage cost is going to do from here on. So now you have to hope for rental growth to get you the 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 capital gain if you're going to get it yeah. and, and if you're going to getting a yield you know you we've, we've sort of tried to map out all the different costs and especially when you start looking at um you know the cost of repairs and, and those other factors is is uh, a lot of houses are buying on pretty close to 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 no yield um and once you add a um once you add a mortgage or anything like that then you're you're quickly into into losing money on that mm. so as an investor um you know, if you're happy to lose money at the moment because you think you're going to get a capital gain, I'm saying, well, you need to get more than a four percent per annum capital gain to, to to just to pay for your interest costs. Yeah, and and I'm you know I'm not seeing that in in the scenarios I'm doing, unless you got a big growth in wages, a big growth in um, uh, uh, rents, but you didn't see interest rates rise. If that scenario happens, and that's it's a possible scenario i don't think it's a likely one but there's a possible one then you can see some you can certainly see some gains yeah. but i guess where i'm where i'm coming from is i think at this end of the cycle having too much debt is the biggest issue you need to face yeah. in, in the house uh,
0: and that's the point i was going to bring up to you um uh damien is that you know for example you, you talked about sydney house prices and i'm actually going to show uh, in our interview um, a chart of Sydney house prices from about 1997 through to 2017. And there was a, a big uh, boom in prices, 97 to 2003 in Sydney. Then it went sideways for nearly 10 years. And then the next boom was a much steeper one. So it kind of says to me when, when this does come unravel in some shape or form, We'll have, we will have a long period or where house prices are going to be very, very stable and could even be falling. But, but I, as I was watching or looking at the chart, I thought to myself, well, hang on, maybe people like Damien and myself can be a little bit biased by the fact that we, you know, we often talk about Port Melbourne and Paran and Paddington and places like that. What are prices doing out of Melbourne, out of Sydney? And I looked at Penrith can buy a place you know average price is there about six hundred thousand Campbelltown six hundred thousand let me give some other suburbs in Melbourne like Boronia that's uh, 680k Tugan and on the Gold Coast 699 Um, uh, Caboolture in Brisbane 349 so those sorts of places the prices and therefore the the level of debt is not as scary as it is for the the trendies who all wanna live around the CBD. So the the kind of negative scenario is probably more scary for those who chase the valuable properties around the CBDs. But people out west and other uh, parts outside uh, the sea aren't gonna be in such a scary scenario, are they?
2: Well, maybe, maybe. I guess it depends on what your income, I guess there's a question about saying if you've bought that but your incomes uh, a third of the person who's buying the million-dollar, um, you know, terrace in in Paddington, or two million-dollar terrace in Paddington, I guess. Then there's, um, I guess, I guess there's a there's an issue about the levels there. But but also, I think you you'll tend to find if you look at some of that um, some of the historical data for that for that same period, where you can say that yes, the median price went sideways for ten years in Sydney, but you you found some of the outer suburbs actually actually were falling more, and some of the inner, inner suburbs had, had held up a little bit better. And so the average came out at, at, at average at, at sort of a relatively flat for that period. But you can get caught in some of those, um, I guess, less desirable suburbs in that they become flavor of the moment and or, or everyone's rushing to, 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 to just grab something. I just have to get into the property. I'll take whatever I can get. But in the downturns and when things quieten up. Um. That's when, if you do need to sell, you do need to take some big discounts because there just aren't the people out there looking for in those areas. And also, um, yeah, you know, th- those are qu- quite close to other areas where you can build whole new housing suburbs and 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 add a lot more supply relatively quickly at that point. And so, if you're somebody who built, yeah, you know, five or six years ago and it's a nice brand new house, but it's getting gradually older every year and there's a new suburb popped up right next by where people can can come in and and build the house they wanted, um, you might find that um, your prices are are a little bit more volatile in those areas.
0: But I I guess, you know, um, there were times when I I wouldn't have known whether whether my house price had fallen or had uh, increased. Um, A lot of people, as long as they don't lose their job and they can keep servicing their debt, the, the scenarios that we're talking about aren't going to be scary. The people who are vulnerable, too much debt, um, they lose their job and all that sort of stuff. When you see scenarios out there, um, Damien, predicting a 40% ha- fall in house prices, particularly nationally, what, what do you say to that? Do you think that 40% is, ex- is beyond the pale? I think it. I think it's unlikely.
2: Um, I think there's scenarios where you can see it happening. Um, and I guess if you looked at, say, at the moment you said, "Well, if if you had a um, you know, Australia's biggest uh, trading partner shuts down for a, a prolonged period of time and potentially a global pandemic," and I'm not saying that's a that's a base case, um, but it is a potential case. Is that maybe you would see that type of thing? But I do. I, I think you're right in that 40% national falls in prices. Are, are an unlikely event, um, and you would need to see some significant rises in, in unemployment to get there. But I, I think actually, I'm just coming back to one of your earlier points, Coming, yeah, what well, you said about um, not having too much debt, you know, I'll very much stick on that one. And the second one about keeping the job because that's the key thing is that I, I, um, I've i got a chart which I, I wheel out quite often, which is um, uh, house prices from 2012 uh, to 2017. So we had this this great big boom in Sydney and Melbourne house prices mm. um, as, is, as interest rates were lowered and um, in relatively benign growth, you know, growth wasn't doing anything special. At the same time in Perth, under exactly the same um, financial conditions and same interest rates, uh, prices fell um, sort of 10%. And so the issue I, I guess I'm looking at, and the reason why there was the end of the mining boom, um, they saw job losses and about a 1% one or one to 1.5% one increase in unemployment. And so I guess that's what I'm saying is uh, unemployment is extremely important to this whole scenario, regardless of how you do it, is if you do see a, a significant tick up in in, in unemployment in Australia, then um, job losses and property prices, I think will will at best go sideways, and certainly in a in a number of areas, will be going backwards. Um, similar to what we um, saw in Perth over that same sort of boom time conditions in Sydney, Sydney, Melbourne,
0: and, and bust time conditions in Perth. Yeah, Damien, thanks for joining us for the program. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks a lot. And that's Damien Claussen from Nucleus Wealth and uh, we'll put a link up to his uh, story if you want to read that. Well, once again, we have that continual thirst for for knowledge when it comes to what's going on in the property sector. And today I wanted to take a special look at maybe the property investors who are looking for commercial property. And we've got Anna Porter, the founder and CEO of Suburbanite joining us. Thanks for coming on the program.
3: Welcome, thanks for having me. Good to
0: see you. Uh, Let's start just generally, because you know it's a controversial topic. House prices in Australia, uh, the rebound, has it surprised you?
3: Look, we did think there would be a little bit of a recovery after the three big things from last year being the Banking Royal Commission, the ACRA lending caps, and the election were over. Mm. Uh, Sydney and Melbourne have probably been a little bit stronger than we expected, but I think a lot of people out there forget that we did have, you know, most of the year in negative. Mm. So it was really only one good quarter. It wasn't a good year, it was one good quarter that made up some ground.
0: Yeah, okay. So, and I guess the bottom line is interest rates remain low. And even jobs are actually still coming through pretty strongly despite the slow economic growth.
3: Yeah that's certainly the case and I think when money is cheap to, to get but also we now again have access to money a little bit better than we did in the early part of last year. Yeah. Those two things certainly make a big difference in people's decision-making.
0: Okay a lot of people who who hate the fact that property investors are out there making it harder for normal people who want to live in a house. And, and there are some big haters out there, yep. I'm sure you know. Oh,
3: I get emails. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the, the, I, I want to talk to you about how often do you get potential clients who say, well, I want to buy a commercial property.
3: Look, quite often, to be honest, we have a lot of our clients are curious about it and and interested in it. Mm. Um, Different types of clients, so you've got your mum and dad investors, it might be their first investment. They've heard that you get really strong yields Mm. in commercial returns, Mm. so they want to inquire. doesn't always suit that kind of client, especially if it's their first investment. You know, commercial is a lot higher engagement, Um, it can be a little bit more tricky to to manage and, Mm. and navigate through that. Uh, and and I think people also sometimes think they've heard in the years gone by about you know yields being in that seven eight nine percent. That was when we we're in a higher interest rate environment. Yeah. We're not seeing that commonly now when we're in a really low interest rate environment. But the other clients that also really suits we get a lot of inquiry about you know quite regularly, um, uh, are business owners that want to purchase a commercial property in their self managed super fund yep. and rent it back to their mm. own business. And that can be a really good strategy in yeah. itself for the right. That,
0: that was a really an important reason why the government got behind self and For those business owners who may have put a lot of money into a factory or a shop and had hardly any cash, and it was a good way to actually improve the
3: superannuation,
0: but also for up bit of cash as well.
3: Yeah, and, and let's be honest, a lot of small business owners don't pay themselves a wage, therefore they're not paying themselves yeah. super. So it's a way to make them engage with that long-term planning a bit.
0: Yeah. Now, you talked about the yield. Why is commercial property... Um, more renowned for yield?
3: It's more renowned for yield because it isn't uh, as strong in terms of growth we often find. Mm. So the rents can keep pace with growth mm. and growth is slower by nature in, in a lot of commercial properties. Mm. It's also, um, there's higher costs involved as well. So a lot of people look at the gross yield, which is a top level look at it. Mm. Uh, A lot of investors forget to drill a little bit deeper and look at your net yield. So once you strip away some of those costs, Mm. and some of those higher costs can be things like higher management fees, higher lending costs, uh, higher maintenance costs, depending on how your lease is structured as well. Mm. But there's also a, even just the fact that you have to get a, a solicitor to draft up a commercial lease and then you have to have a solicitor involved if it goes into arrears and things like that. Mm. It's not just a tribunal where everything's done you know, for a really cost effective way and a really easy way like residential. You know, everything has a, a real commercial aspect to it lawyers and and you know if it does go wrong it goes to court it doesn't just you know settle in a tribunal yeah so there's less
0: protections there
3: is it's higher risk therefore it's higher return
0: yeah um do you find that and if you look at the shopping strips of sydney and melbourne more so sydney than melbourne i find um, that a lot of those shopping strips are starting to struggle are you starting to find new types of potential buyers. I figured that the old landlords were so used to high rents, they couldn't believe it when their rents started to effectively focus. no one wanted to get the property, and they weren't prepared to cut their, their rents. Are they becoming sellers, and are new sorts of uh, uh, landlords coming in to take their place?
3: Yeah, look, that landscape is really changing and Mm. it's off the back of businesses moving Mm. online, the retail sector is quite volatile when it comes to that commercial uh, Mm. landscape as compared to years gone by, uh, which is changing the nature of how people, as you say, sort of engage Mm. with commercial property. We're seeing a lot more um, co-working and shared economy type spaces, from offices to you know different retailers that uh, have synergies coming in together to bring the, the cost down. Yeah. Uh, we're seeing different kind of landlord owners. So a lot more of your bigger institutional style investors are still playing in that space. But the mum and dad investors, um, probably not as prevalent as they once have been, because yeah. it is a little bit riskier and you can get much bigger vacancy periods in that yeah. uh, retail sector yeah. at the moment. Yeah. And then you've also got, um, you know, your self-managed super funds, as, as you would probably know better than I do, it's getting a bit harder in that sector too, yeah. to borrow money. Yeah. So, it's taken a lot of that out of the market. But I mean, interestingly, I was chatting to one of, uh, a lady I work with over at um, Collier's just the other day. She was saying, in years gone by, you talked about the mum and dad commercial market being up to about two to three mil. They're now gauging that up to 10 mil. They consider that to be still the mum and dad commercial mm. market yeah. because of the participation through self managed super funds and other things like that. So, mm. you know, it is really changing how we have to look at it. Industrial is a really interesting one as compared to retail. So there's been a lot of um, stuff coming out from you know, our, our planning and, and peak bodies um, in councils and government to say that there's a real shortage of industrial property mm. and it does have a direct impact on import and export because things are coming off the ports yeah. in for bulky goods and things like that. Um, so they're really getting strict on looking at alternate uses and rezoning. They're just not rezoning anything out of industrial because there is a shortage, there's a identified a future shortage. Yeah. So it's creating potential premiums and really strong rents and returns and mm. demand in that sector. Yeah. So that can be a good place and to And because play.
0: of the online world, the demand for warehousing has increased the market. It demand has for increased.
3: And things mm. like mechanics businesses, you're not taking them Online, you know yeah. what I mean? Not to the extent we can do the work online. Yeah. So there's still a need for that, whereas retail has really shifted.
0: I think there's some trenders who'd love to steal some of these mechanics warehouses for like a New York apartment. Yeah. But, <laughs> but
3: they're, they're, they're not giving not them, them up. It. Yep, <laughs> no. that's what's
0: happening. Okay, you touched on borrowing. Are the borrowing costs for someone who wants to do a commercial generally higher?
3: Generally, yes. So I don't sit in the lending side, but we do see a lot of lending structures. And there's a couple of things that that people have to be aware of. You can't typically borrow as higher loan-to-value ratio. So whereas in a residential um, purchase, you might be able to borrow 90% with some lender's mortgage insurance implications, but maybe 90% with a lot of lenders, Um, commercial will more likely sit in around about 70% of the value of of the property. So you do need a bigger cash injection to get in. Uh, the interest rates will be significantly higher. Even in residential at the moment, we're seeing through the self-managed super fund space, some interest rates, or a lot of interest rates are coming across our desk in the sixes. Mm. So that really erodes your return and then you push into the commercial sector, it gets loaded up again. So yeah. it depends on your structure and a number of things, but you're not getting a three percent interest rate in commercial. Okay. Not that I've seen anyway. Okay.
0: Market predictions for twenty twenty. It's a pretty easy thing for me to ask you. I want you to be one hundred percent right. What do you reckon?
3: Not a big question at all. And we're talking
0: we're talking residential yeah.
3: now. Yeah. So with the residential market, I think Sydney and Melbourne will settle down and soften off a fair bit because there's not that affordability factor anymore. so When people are tackling million dollar mortgages cash is cheap at the moment but you know there is a bit of interest rate pressure coming from some of the smaller lenders Mm -hmm. already in the background so i think that's going to really settle off Uh, when you look to your smaller capitals they're going to be the winners so when you see your adelaide's your brisbane's and your canberra's a lot of infrastructure spend really strong employment landscape which sydney and melbourne is a little bit volatile in the employment landscape Mm. as well so i think that will impact Whereas these markets are affordable prices, really strong um, infrastructure, really strong employment, that will boost mm. them really well. Um, I think Tasmania is going to really struggle, Darwin's going to really struggle, and Perth is just starting to really settle in and recover, which is nice.
0: Okay, one last one. Um, we saw clearance rates, auction clearance rates in Sydney Miller around 80%. Mm. Is that still underlying underlining the fact that they're is there a real lot of supply yet for both those markets?
3: That's correct. There is a lack of supply. Sometimes the agents will put through deals though that um, haven't really gone through that proper auction process as an auction clearance rate. Mm. So we don't always see those numbers being completely accurate and yeah. how they can be manipulated. But even at
0: 70% that's a pretty
3: Yeah, it, it, it is a really tight market mm. in terms of stock levels and yeah. interestingly enough we think this year the biggest participation is going to come from first home buyers mm. in, a, in a much more affordable price point which is a little bit around why we sit with those predictions around those mm. Markets, uh, but also your first home buyers will start clearing off some of that unit stock and those sort of things. Mm. So that's you know we've got a real lack of stock above that level. So mm. heaps of unit stock, first home buyer participation I think will be balanced. Yeah. But getting above that into those freestanding homes for young families, into retirees and things like that, still a real lack of um, buyers putting property to the market. Okay. right, sellers putting property. One
0: to more market. last question because um, you brought it up apartments, Uh, Mm -hmm. particularly in Sydney, there was worries about cladding and the quality of building. Um, What's going on there? And I presume prices would have fallen on lots of these newly built apartments as a consequence of the lack of demand. Uh, Are first-hand buyers starting to look at them once they are confident that there, there isn't a building problem?
3: First-time buyers are looking at them because they're affordable. Yeah. Uh, first-time buyers, I think, sometimes can be a little bit naive in the thinking that it won't happen to me, mm. uh, whereas sometimes older participants in the market have seen it before and yeah. a little bit more cautious. First-time buyers can be a little bit eager and rush into things.
0: Gee, we, we were a bit like that <were>
3: certainly (laughs) that's a fair statement so i think it's a real um it's really important they do their due diligence and look for maybe buildings that have had a little bit of wear and tear and been lived in but there's certainly supply issues it's a systemic issue that goes all the way back through the certification processes and back through that that and it will have to be dealt with Hmm. Uh, but it has to be dealt with at at a sort of um, systems and processes level not just the developers at the other end having the battles that they're having at the moment it's beyond that now
0: and uh, what's your website
3: uh, www dot, like all of them mm. suburbanite That's
0: Anna Porter from Suburbanite.